Well, it's good to see a lot of you here this morning. And I know we still have a, a big crew of people that are watching online, and so we're glad that they're, they're joining us too. Um, and if you're, for some reason, you're traveling or you're homesick or whatever, um, you can watch us online. If you go to our Facebook page um, or if you go to our website, and there's a link that'll take you to that Facebook page to watch it. So you can still stay in, in connection with what's happening here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. We're going to kind of dig into those, those verses over the next few weeks, looking at the church and, and what it means to be uh, faithful and, 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 and the, the fellowship of the faithful. Um, so how does the church, how does the church actually um, act and, and, and live and move within society and in life? A young man had left for his freshman year of college at a very prestigious university, and, and his pa- parents gave him a Bible. Now, now within that, that Bible, they said they really wanted him to read it on a daily basis because it would be of great help for him because he's going away, and they wanted to make sure that he had that with. Well, later he began sending them letters uh, telling them that, that he was getting low on funds and he needed some extra cash. Um, and so they would respond back in a letter saying, read such and such verse or, and chapter out of this book and, and that'll be of some help for you. And uh, he would continue to send you know, letters back saying, I'm still needing cash. And they would send him back you know, uh, a statement about, you know, the Bible is really helpful in life and if you will turn to such and such uh, book and chapter and verse, you'll, you'll find some help that you need. And uh, finally, when he came home at semester break, his parents told him that, they, that they, they knew he had not been reading his Bible. And he felt, what? Well, why are you saying that? Why are you accusing me of lying? Because he kept telling him he was reading his Bible. But, you know, and, and they said, well, if you had gone to the verses that we had suggested to you, you would find tucked in those pages $10 bills and $20 bills that would have helped you throughout this past semester. <laughs> unbeknownst to him, his parents were right. He wasn't reading his Bible. Otherwise, it would have been uh, to his benefit. You see, I believe it's important to be devoted to the Word of God. The early church, as they began, I mean, the day of Pentecost, we see Peter and the other disciples, the apostles, they're standing up preaching before thousands of people there in the temple. And on that day, 3,000 were baptized and the church began. And then something happened. They kept going back to the temple on a daily basis. And they began listening to the apostles as they would speak and teach. And they began meeting together in each other's houses. And the church began to grow. Sometimes I wonder what happened to that church over the centuries. What transpired? I mean, these people living in the first century, they, they seem to, at least as we read through the book of Acts, had a fire for the Word of God and for changing their society and their world for Christ. But the church today is classified by a lot of, of people, especially in America, as being lazy and set in place and just apathetic. And I think that's a kind of a sad commentary on us. Are we really that lazy? That, that we're not on fire for uh, people in our world to come to know Jesus? I know how the church can grow like it did nearly 2,000 years ago. How we can get a congregation fired up for Jesus. And I think we find that here in the book of Acts chapter 2. 
What we need to do is we need to return to the book that tells people about Jesus, in which God has given us as an opportunity to discover the intimacies of who He is and what His will is for our lives. So I think we need to go back and start reading the Bible again. However, there's a growing trend in America that isn't good. Research from the Potts Foundation, which is a faith-based marketing research group, uh, they discovered this, that, that of the more than 2 billion, with a B, 2 billion Christians in the world, less than 30% will ever read through the Bible in an entire year. Less than 30% will read through the Bible in an entire year. Matter of fact, they tell us that, the, that, that over 82% of American Christians, they only admit that they read the Bible on Sundays. In recent studies, well, you know, the Gallup poll, they, they, they did a study 20 years ago, and they resulted in, in the major study indicating that 86% of Americans claimed to be Christians back then although only 70% of those Christians admitted to being born again according to biblical measure. And in the Pew Research, it indicates that only 25% of Americans now attend church on Sunday. 25% of Americans now attend church on Sunday. Back in 1990... That was 47%. Something is happening to the church in America. Would you not agree with me? And it doesn't seem like it's good. Now, the study also shows that in evangelical churches throughout the United States, that 36% of those 25% who attend weekly church indicate that they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 37% of the 25%. Wow. Now, a shocking 57% of American churches believe other religions can get you eternal life. Did you hear that? 57% of American Christians believe that there are other ways to heaven apart from Jesus. I think one of the main reasons that American Christians don't read their Bibles is that only 22% of them believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God and not just written by mere man. Now, over one in four American Christians believe that the Bible is to be written by God Himself and inspired to men. George Barna has done some uh, research recently. The frequency of reading the Bible among adults in the United States from 2018 to 2021. Now, you, you probably you can't see all these numbers. Um, let me kind of read them a little bit for you. Eleven percent read their Bible every day. 5%, they'll read it four or more times a week. 
9% several times a week, another 9% once a week, 8% once a month, 8% three or four times a year, 8% once or twice a year, 13% less than once a year, and 29% never. What we're looking at is an illiterate Bible world here in America. So it was broken down, the next slide, as to how often do you read the Bible based upon age. All right? Now, the top line is those people who are what we classify millennials, 18 to 31. And then we have the Gen X, those are people between the ages of 32 and 50, boomers between 51 and 69, and elders who are 70 plus. And if you notice, the trend shifts that the younger they are, the less likely you are to read the Bible at all. But the older you get, the more you discover you need it. But yet, the percentages still amaze me. It's amazing to me how few we don't, that don't read the Bible at all. Now, those statistics, all these that I just showed you, were, were, were based on people just opening and reading their Bible. That, and it has nothing to do about studying the Bible. That's just opening it and, and reading it and closing it. Now, now, I think there's value in doing that, but, but really what I, what I think it is, Christians need to not just read it, they need to devote themselves to it, which means that they're going to have to study it and spend more time than just reading the words but then trying to figure out how it connects with other scriptures and how it connects in history and how it connects in life and how it connects in their personal life as well. So what we need to do is we need to not just assume that people know how to study the Bible when really we can't assume they even know how to read the Bible. Every Christian, however, should do studies so that they can answer people's questions about the Bible. And every Christian should be able to defend their faith and tell somebody else why they believe what they believe. I do not believe that there is such a thing as Christians who cannot lead someone to Christ. There should not be. So we all need to study the Scriptures in an attempt to, to learn what we can about God and about Jesus, His Son, and about how He wants a relationship with us. And, and, and it's, we look at the early church and the, the historical records there in the book of Acts. I think all of this can be summarized in one sentence, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You see, the sentence really should be a goal for the life of the church, and for us in particular in our own lives. The truth is we must all be devoted to something, but the question is, what are we devoted to? Are you devoted to your job? To your family? Are you devoted to money? Are you devoted to Christ? I think it's a compliment to say that we were devoted to our family, that maybe we're a hard worker, but I hope when people die, or when I die, people will say that I was devoted to Christ. So Acts 2.42 tells us this about the early church. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So when we go back now and we study the church back in the first century, just after Jesus died, was buried and rose again, and then ascended into heaven, when the church began, they were devoted to this. This identifies their character. So this morning I ask that we take an introspective look at our personal faith and how that's played out in our daily lives. And we ask ourselves, to begin with, am I devoted to the apostles' teaching? Am I devoted to the Word of God? To what Jesus and God want me to know? Or do I set it aside? One of the interesting things about the apostles... They, they spent time with Jesus on a daily basis. They were actually able to take him aside from time to time and say, hey, Jesus, <laughs> I may be stupid, I don't know, but I didn't get what you said. Can you explain it to me on my level? And he would. And so they got that extra bit of understanding. And sometimes when he'd speak to the crowd and the crowd just kind of dumbfounded by what he says, but they have no clue, then he would take his disciples aside and he would say, let me tell you what I meant when I talked to them. And so they get this inside track of what God wants us to know, these, these apostles. And now the church is sitting there with them with Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and, and Thaddeus. And, and, and they're saying, tell us. Tell us about these things. And so they would speak to them. I don't think there was a day that went by that the disciples didn't learn a lesson from the master teacher. I mean, they, they not only heard him, heard him speak and teach, but they saw the miraculous things that he did, which drew people's attention to who he was. So what did they learn that is so important that they commanded and wanted to pass on that knowledge to us even to this day? I think there are a few things that maybe we can look at. The first one is this. That God's Word is inspired and perfect. Now trust me, I've had too many conversations this past week with people who don't believe that. people just think it's just a book that's made up by men well maybe it's god-given but people just kind of write whatever they wanted to write but in second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 paul makes this statement he said all scripture is breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's from His mouth. It's from His words. It's from His lips. He's the one who spoke it into existence. The Scripture does not come about because we decide we're going to write something that we create about God. We need to be attentive to what we read. And sometimes we're really not. We just read it. I mean, if you were to go home today and read a novel, you'd read a book that may have some errors in it, historical, grammatical, <laughs> editorial. Well, I mean, you're going to read a book that's gonna, because it's written by a person. And if you were to read the newspaper today, you're going to find perfection in everything that's there in the columns, right? Well, unfortunately, we, <laughs> especially in American news, we discovered that that's not always the case. 
if you were to go home and open up another holy book, say the Quran, you would find within that book some valuable moral lessons, but nothing that's going to guarantee you eternal life. And it was written, in essence, by a man for his own personal gain. But when you read the Bible, you're going to read a book that is perfect in every sense. It's completely and historically accurate, though they've been trying for years to disprove it. Everything the Bible says is the Word of God. So what is so significant about this book, the Bible? Let me tell you a few things. It contains 66 different books or letters that were written under two major divisions. The, the first 39 are called the Old Testament, and the, the next 27 are called the New Testament. So we've got this, these testaments, these covenants, these, these writings that have been brought together. Um, the first group was written in the Hebrew language. The second setting, the New Testament, was written in a Greek language. All right, and, and so we've got these 66 books that span stories about men's life and God's interactions in men's life for over a period of close to 4,000 years, written by over 40 different human authors at approximately around 1,500-1,600 years of time. Diverse cultures, backgrounds, writing styles, and genres are used to write this Bible. And yet still... It does not contradict itself, and it's perfect and inspired. Now, over the years, many critics have, have gone against it, and they've tried to disprove it, but so far, no one has been successful. It's still here. This book has, has sold more copies than any other book in history. There's something unique about it. And people will admit that, even if they want to say it's not really God's Word. It answers all of our questions about life. Matter of fact, Ronald Reagan made this statement. He said, within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today, if only we would read and believe. But America hasn't listened to him. And yet it's great to know that there's a place where we can get answers. There's, there's a place where we can turn to and open its pages. And somehow, miraculously, it has the ability to speak to us today, even though it may have been written generations ago. Naturally, the Bible doesn't address every issue because the Bible wasn't, was written in a specific time. It wasn't written in 2022. So you, you may not find it speaking about Internet pornography. Well, no. It's not going to do it. You may not find it talking to you about speeding down the interstate. No, it's not, going to, it's not going to deal with the specifics of that, but you look at the principles and the values and the generalities behind it, and I think we can apply what it has to say to both those different things, and let alone the myriad of other things in life. There is no better source to go to for any problem than to God's Word because it has been tried and tested and proven to be true time and time again. The Bible is not only the, does it answer every question that we may have in life, but it also does it in a practical and an efficient way because it touches our hearts. Now, something also arises, and people say, well, it depends on how you read it. 
how you interpret it and everything. But really, there is only one interpretation of the Scripture, and it's God's. <laughs> it's not what we want to impose upon it. And so in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21, Peter was confronted with this as well. And so he makes this statement as he's writing to the church. He says that, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory, honor, and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, he's speaking about the Bible. We have the word of God more fully confirmed before us, and we need to use it as a guide in the darkness of this world until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy, read that, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this book is just not written by somebody who sat down and said, I think I'm going to teach some morals and virtues. I'm going to tell some stories. What Peter is saying, none of this is put on these pages without the Holy Spirit guiding their pen. So both Paul and Peter say, this isn't our words. These are his and He's inspired us to speak. And he's given us the ability to, to write in our own style and format and sometimes you might find Paul even putting a parenthetical statement in there that you know this is I who say this not God <laughs> you know and then he'll remind well this is God speaking not me so uh, we've got to understand that the word of God is inspired not by man's experience not by his own intelligence but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit who is moving upon him I hear people say that in the Bible there are many different interpretations of what something may, what it may mean. And I'll admit it. There are a lot of different interpretations, a lot of different translations. I mean, how many American English Bible translations do we have? I mean, there's a whole bunch. So which one's right? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what's important. And I'll tell you why it's important to me that I even went and spent a few years in college studying and learning Greek and Hebrew because the original intent of the author God as he's writing it through these men in those original languages there's truth there now granted languages change over the course of history and so in the English language our vernacular is different than what it was back in 1621 alright so some of the words we use may have different meanings. So as we translate, some of these translations are trying to give you a better understanding, but the principle and the value behind it doesn't change. And if you have the ability to study and not just read, 
then those word studies are important because then you get to figure out what is it that they're really saying in this that our English language may not fully comprehend in one or two words. Now, in the past few years, there's been what scholars have called a worldview shift. There is, there, there, there is absolute, they, they would say there is no absolute truth in our world today. So the shift goes from what was commonly known as modernism to what we're classified today as postmodernism. Postmodernism is basically a belief that says that there is absolutely no truth and that we cannot be sure of anything. But I disagree with that. I think there is truth, and it's found in the Scriptures because it doesn't change. We can be sure that we believe that God intended us to believe because He says it here. We can be sure that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father except through Him. There's not another side of the mountain you can climb up to reach the top. We can be sure that those who believe in Jesus and confess Him as Lord and repent of their sinfulness and are baptized into His name will receive the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit in them as well. We must realize that many people may not believe something is true, but if God's Word teaches it, they're wrong. Now, the second thing is this. We discover that God's Word, it judges our thoughts and actions. It's the, it's the rule of law for the intention and the heart of man and how we then play that out in life. I heard someone once say that even though they knew the Bible said certain things that were wrong, that they would not be judged about that because they didn't feel it was wrong themselves. You know, our feelings trump reality, don't they? At least that's what I'm getting from our society today. I, I see it online all the time. I feel, I believe. And so because of my feelings, because of my intentions, it supersedes anything out there that is actually fact or real. And so we have a confused world today that they don't know truth from a lie because there are no lies. Because if it's okay for me and that's okay for you, then it's okay. But we're not okay. You see, that the truth that the person needed to hear is that we are not judged by what we think is right or wrong. We are judged by the Word of God. Not my opinion, because we are so subjective. We are not judged by our conscience. We are not judged by what is even legal or illegal by our state. We are going to be judged by God in accordance with how we live out His Word. So we need to be in His Word to know how He's going to judge us, don't we? So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Now, while we don't live underneath the Old Testament laws, and we're not bound by the commandments because we're under grace, we are still commanded to live our lives, working out our salvation, being faithful to God, pursuing righteousness, Rather than sinfulness, Paul says, you can't keep living in sin. 
Once you've given your life to Christ, you can't. Sin is supposed to be dead in you. You can't keep on living that way. And so we have to read through it and discover how this life is supposed to be transformed. I've heard it said that the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. I don't think that's really what the purpose of the Bible is, but you know, it's got some, it's got some good qualities to it, doesn't it? I, I do think that the Bible does provide some basic instructions before we die and how we ought to live right now. But Jesus promised that by His words, we will be judged. And we have His word recorded in Scripture. So we know how to live. See, God's word will judge us, and we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and it's through Him that we will determine the blessings and rewards or the punishment and the wrath. Now, when we stand there, He's not going to put any tricks on us. Well, there was a hidden law out there that you didn't really know about, you know, so, well, no. He lays it all out plain for us. And so we've got that to live by. One of the aspects of going to school is to learn also the laws of the land in which we live. So it's important. I mean, you get into your junior high years here in the United States. and junior high, eighth grade, you have to go through this constitutional test. Why? Because you need to know the laws of the land. And you can't graduate without passing that. That's important that you've got to understand that, right? So going to school, it's important for us to learn the laws of land so that we can obey them. Now, if you want to go drive on the streets of Union in your automobile, you have to know information about how to drive and what the legalities are of that so that you can then get a driver's license. Otherwise, they're going to give you a ticket. And if you keep doing it, they're probably going to let you spend some time in jail. All right? Um, and they'll even not then allow you to get your license for so many years down the road because you've been abusing the system. You see, we're all going to be judged one day by God. And if we want to know what the standard is, it's in His Word. And we've got to know it. And some say, well, it doesn't really apply to me. I'm going to tell a little story on my son, and he'll probably shoot me later. But when he was getting his driver's license... We gave him the book and we said, let's study this and study this and study this so that you can take your written test and then we can take you out driving, all right? And get the experience and then go and get your driver's license. So finally he said, have you read the book yet? No, no. Have you read the book yet? No, no. Have you read the book yet? Get down there and read the book. Okay. So he read the book, took him to the driver's license, he took his test and he failed. I said, well, what happened? So we looked at all the questions he missed and what he failed. The questions he missed all dealt with the punishments and the legalities of drinking and driving. And I said, how'd you miss those? Well, I didn't read that section because it doesn't pertain to me. I'm not going to drink and drive. <laughs> yeah, but it's on the test. <laughs> so he sat there in the license office, read that section, went back and got 100%. All right. But here's the thing. We've got this in our hands and we say, well, that doesn't pertain to me. The test is coming. And one day we're going to stand and we're going to have to give an answer to the questions that he gives us. There's no hidden questions. They're all covered in here. Every one of them. 
and it's either pass or fail. You see, I know the Word of God to be convicting, and it penetrates our hearts. There has never been a book so blunt. There's never been a book that, that led so many people to a better life than the Word of God. And you've got to spend time in it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God one day and say, well, I'm sorry, I, I didn't read it. I didn't know I needed to. I didn't, you know, I, I just thought I'd be a good person by my own conscious choices. It's a shame that so many people's Bibles collect dust, and yet it's by God's Word we're going to find judgment. And if you want to make sure that you're in line with, with God and how you're living and how He expects you to live and to act, then we need to be studying His Word. Finally, the Word of God, it should be properly handled. It's such a significant book that we need to use it properly. So Paul says to Timothy, a young preacher, in the second letter that he writes to him in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We are expected to rightly handle the word of God. It's not just a job for the leadership in the church. We're all expected to rightly divide God's Word. It's the job of everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. And I think it simply means this, that we're supposed to do our best to learn more about the truth that He has written for us in His Scriptures. I don't think that God's going to give us an entrance test before we get into heaven. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that we as Christians need to know it we need to be aware of the things that are found there so that it impacts how we live and how we act out and how we relate to other people and, and introduce them to Jesus as well. I think God expects us to know some of the people in Scripture and what they did. He expects us to know the ministry of Jesus and how He interacted in the lives of those around Him and the, how the church began and what the church did. I think He expects us to know how to tell somebody how they themselves can become a Christian. That right there is rightly dividing and handling the Word of God. Did you notice that in that passage Paul says, to present yourself to God as a worker who is not, has no need to be ashamed. We shouldn't be ashamed of how we're serving God. I think it takes effort on our part to achieve that. We've got to work. I, I think that we'll be presented before God and judged by how we handle the Scriptures. And I believe the key is that it takes effort to be God-approved, and it takes careful study on our part. I hope you want to be God-approved. I mean, we look for that kind of approval, don't we, on the food that we buy at the grocery store, Right? FDA approved, right? GOD approved. To know that we have passed the test and we're good, that we're not going to be poisonous or, or unhealthy.
So we need to do this, to pick up the Word of God and learn how to study it. And so we need quantity or quality study as well. Not just quantity, but we need quality study. It's important for you to have quality Bible time daily. It's great that you can come to church and you can get a message from me, but how do you know if I'm telling you the truth? Take what I say, take it home, tear it apart, spit it out, and come back and say, you're wrong. I would love for somebody to do that. And say, this is, this is where it should be, and you said this. You know how many times I've had that in my life? Very few. Because I'm not always right, and I'll admit it. And when somebody else brings in Scripture and says, look, maybe you should have used this passage instead. Ah, uh, I grow. In Hebrews chapter 5, Verse 12 and 14, the author there says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers and discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I believe what that's saying is that we need to continue to grow in our knowledge of the Word of God on a daily basis. We can't just stop and enjoy the baby food. If everything you ate was pureed, mm, had no flavor, no seasoning, mm, right? Boy, you're missing out. We need to step up our study of Scripture. And it's sad that people can go to church for 40, 50, 60 years and never be able to answer sometimes even the basic steps of what it takes to become a Christian. You think, where have you been all this time? And they can't lead somebody else to Christ. So are you devoted to the apostles' teaching, or are you a Christian still nibbling on baby food? We also need that quantity time of study as well. I mean, quality is extremely important, but it doesn't come about unless you've got quantity. You're not going to get it all in one setting. Let me tell you that. It didn't happen for me either. Right, it's got to be a daily devotional study time that takes place over years in your life. Quantity. Paul said to the Colossian churches in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, we need to devote ourselves daily to reading the Bible, to studying it, and I think there's where we find the blessing in all of it. God deserves your time and your attentiveness. There is no greater blessing than studying His Word and seeing the promises that He claimed for us in Christ. So how can we stand on the promises of God if you don't know what they are? If you're not reading His Word. We've got to get into His Word and learn what He has to say. And I promise, in doing that, your faith is going to grow. And you will find that there are uniquenesses in Scripture that you never thought would have been there. And we'll be so on fire 
I want you to know this. Out of all the thousands that Jesus had, he, he, he centered it on 12 of these guys. And then we kind of focused primarily on three and, and gave them a little more experience. It doesn't matter how many, whether you're standing before 1,000, you're, you're standing there with two or three or one or whatever. Instruction takes place when one person imparts their knowledge and their experience to somebody else. Back in 1947, the University of Chicago, Dr. Chandra Sikhar, he was scheduled to teach a, a, an advanced seminar on astrophysics. All right. At the time, he was living in Wisconsin, and he was doing some research at uh, Yerkes Astronomical uh, Observatory. He was planned to commute twice each week for that class with about a 100-mile round trip during the wintertime. Registration for that seminar in 47, it fell far below the expectations. Matter of fact, there were only two students that registered for the class, and everybody thought that, that Dr. Chandra Sakar was going to just dismiss it and maybe go for another because the time of year and only two students and the travel and all that and the research he was already doing and, and so they thought he would just say no. But for the sake of those two students he decided he would go ahead and teach physics. And so he made the journey every week and he imparted into the lives of these two young men what he knew. Now his students Chen Ning Yang and Cheng Tao Li, both, 10 years later, won Nobel Prizes for physics. And they said it was because of what he had done for them. Now, Dr. Chandra Sikhar, also in 1983, he also won a Nobel Prize for his studies in black holes. If you were the only person in this world who ever sinned and needed salvation, Jesus would have done the same thing. That's what he tells us. He would have come into this world... He would have given his life on a cross. He would have been killed for your sins. He would have been buried in a borrowed tomb and raised to new life again. And by his resurrection, you would have the ability to have your sins forgiven as well. Only you. You see, for an effective teacher, there is no small class. And the Word of God was written. We can say for the masses in the world, but I want to tell you, the Word of God was written for you. This is God's gift to you to help you live today. This is going to change your life. Are you willing to read it? To be devoted to it? to live by it. Let's stand together.